Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Hello, my name is Kelly Brownell. I'm the director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity at Yale University. I'm delighted to welcome our guest today, Gary Nell, who is president and chief executive officer of the Sesame Workshop. He's had a long history of work in the media, in television, in 2008 was named New York Social Entrepreneur of the Year, has won many awards, has been very active in advising government authorities and others on issues of the media impact on children. So Gary, welcome. I'm delighted to have you here. Happy to be here. Over the years, we've seen the Sesame characters deal with nutrition and food issues an awful lot. And I'm wondering where that the food, nutrition, and health fits into the overall scheme of what you're hoping to communicate to children. Well, Kelly, food and nutrition has been part of Sesame Street from the very beginning. After all, Cookie Monster was there from the very beginning. So we had to address the food issue. But the serious answer is that we had, uh, from the beginning, a whole child curriculum. It's really the only children's program that has a whole child curriculum, which deals with cognitive learning like letters and numbers, social and emotional learning like cooperation or respect, and health messages. And those might be hygiene. Those might be around uh, brushing your teeth. They could be simple messages. And obviously, they've grown much more recently into trying to tackle some of the childhood obesity challenges that we have as a nation. So before we get into the specifics of how you deal with nutrition-related issues, give us a sense of the reach of the Sesame Street program, or not only in the U.S., but around the world? Well, we like to call it the longest street in the world. And uh, it's funny to us because when we started the show, we thought it was sort of the quintessential American program. It was built on an inner city block uh, with African Americans and Hispanics and and big, tall, yellow canaries and green grouches. And it was a very American-type setting. But it was soon after that the Germans and the Mexicans and the Brazilians came in and said, we want one of these, too. And some 40 years later now, we're in 140 countries around the world. And literally millions and millions of kids who experience Sesame Street every day, many of whom are experiencing it in a very local context that is uh, really speaking to their uh, indigenous uh, issues. And I know that you take on a lot of important social issues, and one of the examples you gave earlier that stuck in my mind was dealing with HIV in South Africa. Could you give us, tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, well, um, you know, as everyone knows, HIV has been in many ways and AIDS the scourge of Sub-Saharan Africa over the last decade or two, and uh, what is not talked about enough is the impact it's had on children, the millions of kids who have been orphaned by AIDS and who are suffering, uh, w just also being HIV positive, and uh, many of these children are stigmatized. They are shunned, they are set aside, uh, and we decided with our partners in South Africa to introduce an HIV positive Muppet named Kemi, and she's a gregarious, uh, you know, asymptomatic uh, character, but who wears a, a memory uh, necklace uh, of, of her mother because she's an AIDS orphan, and she uh, is able to help children uh, understand that they can be friends with someone or play with them and not necessarily get sick. It begins to break the stigma, Kelly, and it begins to break the silence that has too often surrounded AIDS in South Africa. 
So we have had enormous success there. She's been made a UNICEF champion for children. Uh, Nelson Mandela has had her at his Christmas party every year. Uh, and um, we are taking her now uh, from a grant from the United States Agency for International Development. We'll be taking her to five other sub-Saharan African countries in 2010 to expand these important messages. You know, it's so touching, it brings tears to my eyes. And since it wouldn't be good in this podcast to have me, the host, crying, maybe we should switch back to nutrition and talk about that for a moment. So we can only scratch the surface on what you've done with food nutrition issues because there's such a long history of it, and you've done it in so many ways. But could you give us some examples of the things that you've done and how it goes even beyond the show into the Internet and books and things like that? Well, Sesame Street is the only children's show that's produced every single year. Um, in the U.S., and uh, we're now uh, producing our 41st experimental season, as we call it. And that, what that means is each and every year we bring in a group of advisors who uh, talk to us about uh, the important issues of facing, facing preschoolers. And they may be cognitive issues like the, what is called the vocabulary gap that uh, many children in uh, economically depressed neighborhoods have versus kids in so-called professional families as they enter school. Or it may be around uh, health issues like childhood obesity. And so we tackled this issue at the advice of our uh, advisors, and we decided to launch a campaign called Healthy Habits for Life in which we've tried to create a 360-degree experience. So we deal with it on broadcast television, but we also deal with it in terms of videos, in terms of books, online, in live shows, in touring museum exhibits, having uh, celebrities and political leaders like members of the U.S. Senate, uh, governors, uh, and others, uh, and even now the First Lady of the United States, Michelle Obama, promoting health and exercise with the Muppets because we do know that after 40 years these characters have become iconic to the culture. So why not use them in ways in which we can role model positive behaviors and make eating good food cool? So how do you decide what food should be promoted and what shouldn't? Well, we have a group of advisors. Um, we're just lowly television producers, you know, so we're, we're, we're actually seriously not the world experts on these issues. So what we have to do is set up an advisory group of leading academics who have uh, created a set of nutrition standards in which we uh, will align our characters. And only to those nutrition standards will we align our characters in terms of product licensing. And then in terms of the show, we have advice from the American Academy of Pediatrics and others, the CDC, um, who have been uh, active with us, to try to make sure that we're promoting a proper daily diet for a child and promote only those foods in which they should be um, uh, ingesting. Now, you mentioned the issue of product licensing, so that would be the use of characters by companies that are selling products. And I know that's a complicated uh, and important issue. So what sort of products do Sesame Street characters get used for and how do, uh, in the food arena, and how do you make the judgments about what should be licensed and not? Well, I'm sure everyone listening to this knows about Tickle Me Elmo, and uh, we do toy licensing, which is probably the best-known license we have. Uh, that revenue that we get, which is a royalty really based upon the sales of those products, pays for the research and production of our show that we 
put on every single year. So it's critically important revenues that we otherwise wouldn't be able to get from the government or from philanthropy. So uh, we entered the food arena uh, in a very um, deliberate way, uh, careful way, so that we would only license products that um, met certain these certain nutrition standards so we have done things like oatmeal like crackers like cereal like apple ju uh, juice or applesauce like fresh fruits and vegetables who may be labeled which may be labeled with the characters so that they can draw maybe draws a little more appeal than something that's unlabeled and we can argue that this is a good thing or it's a sad state of our culture, whatever it is, but the fact is we do know the power of these iconic characters to drive behaviors, and they can be negative behaviors uh, or they can be positive behaviors, and so we're trying to promote positive behaviors by the use of these characters to get kids to eat fresh fruits and vegetables primarily, which have been the, the big cause of what we've been trying to to do and uh, Kelly, even Cookie Monster now knows that uh, he's he's gotten into veggies and uh, he's not the veggie monster or the Pilates monster, but he is in fact uh, still loving his cookies. But he knows that cookies are a sometimes food and not an all the time food. And at the talk you just gave at the Rudd Center, you mentioned some research that had been done using one of your characters with broccoli. Could you explain that? Yeah, we did a, a study just trying to test this uh, issue that I talked about of how impactful are these uh, licensed characters. So unaided, we had kids pick between uh, chocolate and broccoli, and 80, 82% or so of the kids, 78% uh, of the kids picked the uh, chocolate and 22% the broccoli. Uh, then when you put Elmo on the chocolate, that quickly jumped into the 90s somewhere and very few picking the broccoli. When you flipped it, however, and put Elmo on the package of broccoli, some 50% chose that because they wanted to have what Elmo is associating himself with. And it just shows you, in maybe a very crude way, but it shows you the power that these licensed characters actually have on influencing especially young children's behavior in food choices which is why you see so many licensed characters associated with so many foods in the supermarket or at fast food chains. And that's what we're trying to get our head around to make sure that we're doing it in the right way. Those numbers are very impressive because they're not a 2% change, a 3%. I mean, this is a massive change produced simply by taking a character and putting it on a product. So it shows the power of those, those characters. So uh, in signing off, I wanted to thank you for all the good work that you and your colleagues have done over the years. It's just an enormous help to the public health community to have something that reaches so many people in such a positive way and conveys such a helpful message that we're grateful for all the work you do. So thank you for joining us well, today. Well, we're, we're big supporters of the Rudd Center, and uh, we have a joint cause in helping children's health in this country, and we need to work together to make that happen. Thank you. So our guest today was Gary Nell, President and Chief Executive Officer of the Sesame Workshop. Please visit our website at www.yaleruddcenter.org for a list of other resources, and we have many of them. And in addition to that, a list of the very fine guests we've had who have recorded podcasts with us. Thank you.